but she's like a Sour Patch Kid. Um, you know, first she's sweet, and then she kicks you in the shin. Uh, she's really fun. So, so Jordan, um, Jordan loves to play hide-and-seek, and she has for years, and she is not very good at it. She, she's like a five-year-old who plays hide-and-seek. So here's what she does. Um, she will, well, well, first, she will like, tell me where she's going to hide. That's the first thing she does wrong. Every time she's like, all right, you want to play hide and seek? Okay, I'm going to go hide in the curtains. And off she goes, the curtains. The second thing she does is when I'm like seeking her and I'm like, Jordan, I don't know what room you're in. I'm in the curtains. (laughs) She hadn't quite figured it out yet. The third thing she does wrong is she tells me where to hide. Like, she's like, all right, I'm going to count and you go hide beside the bed. Okay, deal. So she plays hide-and-seek like a, like a five-year-old. And, and, and when she's behind the curtains, it's almost like she wants to be found because she does. And so that's why she's like calling out. Here's, here's a simple point I want you to think about. As we come to this psalm tonight, there's a lot in here about hiding. There's a lot in here about hiding. And there's a lot about being found. And I, I think part of why we get this psalm from David is because he's confessing his inclination to hide and he's confessing that he wants to be found. And so if for Jordan, the reason she wants to be found in that particular setting is because she knows who's finding her. Like she knows it's me and it's fine, right? And so we have to understand who God is in order to know that it's fine to be found, if that makes any sense. Um, Sammy Rhodes, who is the campus minister down at South Carolina, boo to that, yay to him. He's a great dude. Um, he wrote a book. Maybe some of you have read it. This is awkward. Have any of y'all read that book? It's, it's really great. He uses a similar illustration. And I want to I read you what he says. He says, We hide our flaws, our defects, and anything else that will make us look like we don't have it all together. And so those are the places we kind of look to to suppress and to hide. We do this in a lot of ways by simply pretending to be somebody we're not. Um, by overworking, by studying just a little bit more and a little bit more and kind of being defined by the person who's always studying or whatever, or by being the person who's always playing video games for like a few days. We, we find ways to kind of like check out, and, and really that's a, a form of hiding. We're, we're often suppressing things about ourselves and we find ways to do it, or it's by um, overly involving ourselves or um, destructive patterns or vices or whatever. We're hiding because all we want deep down is to be found. And we just don't know how to be found in a way that's actually safe and, and good. And so I think that's why the psalm is super helpful. Here's the Bible study pattern I want to point you to. It's a very simple way you can study any passage of Scripture. It comes to two questions, okay? The first question is, what does the passage say about God? And the second question is, how do I respond to that? That's a great tool that you can take into any Bible study. Open up Philippians or Revelation or Genesis. What does it say about God? And now how do I respond to that? And that's going to be our kind of brief outline we'll work through this passage. And you're going to help me come up with those things to answer that question. Okay? So let's look at this passage. I'm going to read the whole thing. And then we're going to say, what does this say about God? And how do I respond to that? Psalm 139. It's on your outline. To the choir master, Psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light be about me night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, the darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If we could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but these are the words of the Lord and they stand forever. All right, so help me out with those questions. David's contemplating God's character. What is he coming up with? What does this passage say about God? Tell me. This is real interaction tonight. Say that again, guys. His ideas are more numerous than the sands on the seashore. Yeah, that's right. His ideas are more numerous than the sands on the sea. Okay, very good. What else are we hearing about God? God found David before he even started hiding. Yes, God had found David even before he started hiding. That's a great way to put that. What else? God personally loves us individually. So God loves us individually. Where do you see that, Matt? The, uh, the kind of intricately woven part. Yeah, very good. Something over here. Darkness is as light. Darkness is as light. That would have been really appropriate if the power hadn't come on. <laughs> it's still true. Um, darkness is as light. <clears throat> I love that. What else are you hearing about God's character here? He knows us better than we know ourselves. Yeah. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Yeah. And why does he know us better than we know ourselves? What else are you hearing from the passage? Why? Yeah, that's right. So they're particular thoughts. He knows individuals. He's not just like the knowing God who knows about you. He knows you. What else? God is with us. What was it back there? Yeah, he won't let them wonder. He, he may let them wonder to a degree, but he always knows where they are. At all times. We can't wander away. That's a fact. Thanks, Claire. What else are you hearing? There's nothing too dark for God. Yeah. Nothing's too dark for God. I love it. Y'all, y'all are picking up on huge themes. See, see that right there? That's a Bible study. It's a great Bible study. 
start contemplating what any of those bullet points mean and then kind of ask yourself, how do I respond to that? Which we'll do that in a second. Let me just break down a couple of those that you've mentioned. Um, There's two specific kind of things that you've mentioned that categorizes most of it. One, God is all-seeing, and the other is God is all-knowing. You may have heard this kind of stuff in in Sunday school language, the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere, he sees everything, and he knows everything. Um, There's a lot we could say about any of these things. Um, So let let me just do this. I want to focus on the God knowing all things because I do think that that's something very applicable for us. Um, you Star Wars people will appreciate this. Um, are there Star Wars people in here? Okay. All right, so y'all, y'all will appreciate this. Do you know what the word for know is in Hebrew? It's Yoda. That, isn't that interesting? The wise one. Uh, knowledge is, is Yoda in Hebrew. And there's that verse 2 at the very beginning. Well, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you have Yoda me. You have known me. Verse 2 says, you, Yoda, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. God knows all. That's the omniscience of God. He is aware what is happening. He knows and understands what's going on. And not just a knowledge on the surface, because then the verses kind of go deeper below the surface. In 3 and 4, you search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all together. So not only does God know our actions, but he actually knows the motivations underneath our actions. He knows the intent of our heart even before we do something. So... It's not just like a satellite beaming God who's watching all things. He's, he's able to also read the motives and the intents behind the things that we do or the things that we don't do, the things that we say or the things that we don't say. God knows us in that kind of way. And so why does God know so much about us? You brought this up. Several of you brought it up. It's because he made us. Um, he, is, he knows us individually and uniquely. And that's... That, that's whether you are a Christian or not. This is the knowledge of all mankind because God created all mankind. Every single one of us created in the image of God. That comes out in 13 and 14. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it so well. My frame was not hidden from you. That You got the whole thing. God knitted together every single individual in the womb of their mother. And even before that, he, he thought of them. He created you to be you. This passage has been used and should be used to show the value of all human lives. Lots of applications we could come off of that. Even in the political climate, um, we can apply this to things like abortion, huge implications for abortion and those type conversations. It's worth having those conversations. Also, it applies to issues of race, which we have, um, of course, explored time and time again over the last few years, especially in our country. These verses give us understanding of a lot of the debate that's going on in race. And, and I, I do want to kind of leave you on a, on a hanging note. I'm going to address racism and prejudice stuff next week a little bit. I want to kind of dig down into some of that. But this passage gives us a lot of direction 
for how we handle racism and prejudices and human rights. But it has so much to say about your life specifically too, doesn't it? It says that you were formed by God. You were knitted together by God. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Your frame was not hidden from God. You were woven by Him and He sees you. You really are special. Really, really special to the One who made you and created you to be you. The body you have, the parents you have, the experiences you have, the personality you have, the smile that you have, the things that you look in the mirror and wish you didn't have. God made you, you. He made you, you. This has such significance to our lives. What's David's point? If God knew him in the womb, it would only make sense that God knew him and knows him outside of the womb too. And John Calvin has a great quote about this. He said on this verse, he said, We need not then wonder if God, who formed man so perfectly in the womb, should have an exact knowledge of him after he is ushered into the world as well. (laughs) Summarizes it well. God even knows the days of our lives. He knows the, the, the number of our days, which comes out in verse 16. Every one of them were written. Your days are numbered in the best possible way. Already written is the story of you by God. For his glory and for your good. God is sovereign over all. He sees all. He is everywhere and he knows all. Now, how do you respond to that? So, I kind of want to open that up for a second. Like, I, I really think there's two extremes here. If you come across that kind of like bright light of who God is, what are a couple possible scenarios of how people might respond to that? What do you think? Okay, wonder. I would put that on one side. Wonder and awe. And it's kind of like, wow. All right, what else? Skepticism. Skepticism. Absolutely. What else comes to mind? Huh? Afraid. Afraid. Shame. Yeah, let's put that over here, right? A word we might use would be terror. <laughs> and, and I really think those are kind of your two options. Comfort or Terror. So where are you? How do you feel about God knowing you and the real you? God seeing all, everything. God knowing the intentions of your heart. How do you deal with that? Here's how David responded. Verse verse 6 was his confession. I don't know if you caught this. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. That's the all. That Jeremy mentioned. So the big question is, how do you respond? When you, consider your, when you consider God and His character, His bigness, where do you land? Is it terror or is it comfort? Let me speak to the terror side of it. First, terror. It, it could be that you see and hear something like this and you think God already knows too much. <laughs> and He does. And, and, that, and that kind of puts you like inward. You've already decided that you would rather keep trying to hide. You like the idea of jumping behind the curtains. You don't want, you don't want to be known like this. Um, this is not new for you. It's not new for me when I want to hide from God. 
when I've done something or said something and I want to just run. It's not new. This is Genesis 3 kind of stuff. This is back in the day, our first parents, Adam and Eve. When they first ate from the fruit of that tree that God said, do not eat, and they heard God coming toward them, what's the first thing they did? They decked behind the bushes. They jumped. They hid. It's what we do. We're terrified. You might not like what God is telling you about Himself, but this is what He tells you about Himself. This is how He reveals Himself, that we can't outrun Him. The skies are no limit. The earth, you know, has no bounds. The east, the west, the light, the darkness. Those are like Hebrew ways to say He is everywhere. They call it mirrorism. When you give one extreme one way and one extreme the other, it is all-encompassing. There's no running. You can't get away. Maybe you are a believer and you feel that you're even trying to run now. Here at the beginning of the semester, you've seen yourself slip into kind of old patterns that you thought you were done with. Or you're coming off a really harsh and hard summer and you just kind of like want to not deal with God. He's there. He knows. There's no running. Terror is an option. But it's not a good option. Um... There's only one place where God isn't. And the passage actually alludes to that too in those verses about the wicked, 19 and following. And what that's speaking to is those who want to run from God truly and you want to be away from God, ultimately there's an option. And the, the reality is that's what hell is. It's the one place where God isn't. It's a place of torment. It's a place of death. And the reason hell is torment is because there is no grace, only justice. There's no forgiveness, only condemnation. So don't, don't run. Don't be terrified. Because I think there's a better application for us, and it's the comfort side. The reason Jordan wants me to find her is because she knows that we'll laugh and just play again. Like, there's comfort in that for her. If I... I'm not the greatest dad, but if I were a harsh father and, and, and um, always on her or even, you know, God forbid, like hurting her, her hiding would look very different, wouldn't it? Do you understand the character of God, who it is that's coming after you? I know the analogy doesn't fully work because I am full of falls, but God himself is, is so much better and he's coming after you. Um, one of the, my favorite quotes, you'll hear me quote it probably every other week for the next however many years you're here. Um, It's one by Tim Keller in his marriage book. And he's talking about the idea of being known and loved and what happens in marriage. And here's the quote. He says, To be fully loved but not fully known sounds good, but it's superficial. To be fully known but not fully loved is our greatest fear. Does that make sense so far? To be fully known but not fully loved is our greatest fear. I don't want to be exposed because people will reject me. But, this is how he ends the quote, but to be fully known and truly loved is what it is to be loved by God. The response to an all-knowing God isn't to run and flee and hide. The response is to step out from behind the bushes and say, you know me. 
yet you love me. And to begin to let grace sink in. That's where David begins. He says, you, in the very first verse, he says, you have searched me and you have known me. And he's comforted there. We have to be exposed in order to be reclothed. We have to be found in order to be embraced. And so if you live with a fear that you're going to be found out, like that somebody's going to come across those sites on your phone, that someone's going to find out about that conversation you had, or someone's going to uncover that you really did cheat on that test. Like if you live in the constant fear of someone finding out, someone finding out, someone finding out, you need to know that you already have been found out. You already have been. Yet, if you're trusting in what God has provided through His Son, you have been fully loved. And that brings about tremendous comfort and it brings about freedom. You're fully known to God, yet you're truly loved. How do I know that? It's the story of the Psalms because it's the story of the whole Bible. It starts in Genesis It runs through the story of Adam and Eve because what happened when they came out from behind the bushes? God himself reclothed them. There was a sacrifice in the garden that day. Something had to die in order for them to be covered. But God allowed something to die in order for them to be covered. That same theme continues all throughout the scripture. It's Abraham's story. It's David's story. It's Israel's story. In the New Testament, the story becomes more full for us when Jesus himself comes into the picture. The one whom all the stories point to. It's the theme of his own stories, the short stories that change everything that we're considering uh, this semester. The one that David ultimately believed would come and cover his shame too. And Jesus comes and he begins his ministry. And what Jesus' ministry simply is, is dragging people out from behind the bushes in order to reclothe them. That's the picture of the gospel over and over again. And it all comes to a head when Jesus himself goes to the cross because where do your clothes come from? Jesus takes on the ultimate separation from God. He takes on that hell in a very real way, the only place where God wasn't. And he takes it on himself and he takes on your sins and my sins when he takes on the cross. All of your running, all of my running, and he is forsaken by God. Why? So that we could be brought home. So that we could come out of hiding, so that we would be healed and made safe, so that you would be fully known and yet truly loved. God allowed someone to die so that you could be known and loved. This is Paul's conclusion. We're going to end here. Paul said in Philippians, listen to how he summarizes these ideas. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and, listen what he says, and be found in him. You hear what he's saying? I've ran, and I've ran and ran, and I've done all these things, and it's all rubbish. 
my good and my bad, it's all rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him and being found in him. He continues to not have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so my my encouragement to you through this kind of devotional of sorts is to let God find you this semester, to even humble yourself in prayer, and to come before him and to say with David, Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That would be my challenge and encouragement to you, uh, even this week. Uh, Let me pray and then we'll have one more song together. Oh God, you have searched us and you have known us. And that can sound like terror or it can sound a lot like comfort if we understand who you are who's doing the searching. So I pray that our response would be one of comfort because of what you've provided in the gospel through your son Jesus, that we would see that you meant comfort because you sent your own son into the world to take on the payment, to take on the penalty that we all deserve. And so comfort us even this week that we would know that we can be fully known, exposed, yet fully loved because of what Christ has done. I pray it that we would know it in Jesus' name. Amen.